Good evening, everyone. So, my friends, um, in our gospel, um, there are different things happening inside there. It opens with um, Jesus explaining um, he's come to let us know of the Father. And he tells us, I know my Father, my Father knows me, and I will reveal to him anyone uh, that I choose. And uh, later he speaks about uh, virtues that in our times are maybe not so valuable, meekness, humbleness. And he says, come to me. So my friends, um, it's a great joy <clears throat> to know an important person. In our culture, to know often simply means to know facts about the person. And thanks to Google, <laughs> you may know all the facts, or just some of them. <laughs> to know in this way is not at all uh, that joyful, if you will. In Scripture, to know means to be in relationship with. Not just any type of relationship, but one that is based on trust and love. Also, uh, it means that we must be known then by that person and then likely loved by that person also. So in our times, as well as in Jesus' time when he walked on the earth, folks knew about God, meaning they heard about him. And some saw God as distant and remote, not really concerned about us or our burdens in this world. Worse still, others saw God simply as a judge who wanted to punish now, in Jesus' time, uh, that's kind of what the Pharisees were teaching. Unless you do this exactly and perfectly, God will not like you. He will not love you. However, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, comes into our world to teach us about the Father because Jesus wanted us to know, really know the Father. Jesus revealed to us God as Father and as a loving and compassionate Father. He revealed also, as we study the Scriptures, that God, who is Father, is stubbornly and passionately interested in each of us, which that was something new for the people of Jesus' time. Many of the so-called wise people of Jesus' time rejected everything Jesus said. But the humble of heart and the meek ones, what the world calls today those who are simple, accepted him. The intellectuals of Jesus' time had little use for him. But the humble accepted him from the heart on faith. And Jesus said, I bless you, Father, for hiding these things from the learned and the clever and revealing them to the childlike. Now, friends, Jesus is not against nor condemning intellectual abilities. But I would put forth that he is against intellectual pride. It is not cleverness that shuts God out. It is pride. 
Because of Jesus and what he revealed, we no longer see God as someone remote or someone who doesn't like us or someone who just wants to punish us. We know God as someone who is ever close, who knows each of us and is concerned about each of us because we are not just part of something that he created. We are his children. So we're not equal to the plant, nor are we equal to the animal. As a matter of fact, Genesis says we were put in authority over them, but in a humble and meek way. So we are different. My friends, when faith is only a matter of what is in your head, meaning I will think about it and study it, it remains cold in that God remains outside and distant and this aloof figure. But faith is more than just of the mind. It is a matter of the heart. When faith is rooted in the heart, God is known. He is experienced as loving. Then the Christian faith becomes what it is truly meant to be, a relationship. To know God in this way and to have a close and loving relationship with him then truly becomes a cause of great joy and peace to us. No matter what the world can do or no matter what the world says to us. Our Christian faith should not make life more burdensome. This is part of what Jesus is saying. My yoke, my burden is light compared to what you have been told and what you know. My friends, I will keep it real. If Jesus placed any burden on us at all, it was the burden of loving other people, which at times becomes really difficult. But if we have love, then it is not a burden at all. While faith makes all things possible, love makes a great many things easier. When we truly understand what Jesus revealed through his apostles, through what was recorded in what we call Holy Scriptures, we come to know and understand that the Christian faith, the Christian story, in essence, in truth, is a story about love. A love story between God and his people. In the Eucharist, our Lord, our Savior, our God, humbles himself under the guise of bread and wine. He does so out of love to continue the love story and that we may have life eternal with him and his Father and the Holy Spirit and that we would come to experience the love of the Father poured out in Jesus Christ so that also you too may go and love others to help them to make their burdens light. My friends, uh, Strictly speaking, Jesus is always available to us 
He wants us always, but in the scripture, he says, come to me, you who are burdened, and I will make it light for you. He didn't say it wouldn't happen. He didn't say he was going to shield you. He said, I will make it light. When I hear this, I think of him saying, I want you to come to me first. Whatever the trouble is, come to me first. I will guide you. He will send you to the right person. He will send you to the right house of worship. He will, you see? This is what I'm hearing, and I'm going a little bit out there, but when I hear Jesus say, come to me, you who are burdened. I know he wants everyone who's happy too, but in particular in this reading, for you who have great burdens, come to me first. I will guide you. I will love you. I will show you. Amen? So my friends, um, you probably noticed in our procession something is different. As far as I understand, very, for the very first time ever in this parish's history, and it's 115 years old, we now have a first-class relic of St. Nicholas of Tolentino. Yeah. Just its presence here is astounding and amazing and because it's been five years in the making and pretty much at every turn that I made, it was no, 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 no. And finally, yes. So my friends, um, the relics of our saints are not to be worshipped. They are respected or venerated in the same way we respect and venerate holy images and icons. And this has been done since the time of Jesus himself. My friends, the relics of the saints are typically kept in what we call reliquary, and that's what you can see. What you can't see, but we'll, if you want to come after Mass closer, inside is the actual relic of St. Nicholas of Tolentino. Homage and respect technically is not directed at the object, the relic itself, but to the holy person themselves. And veneration of the holy person of God, this is a saint, he was holy and heroic in the faith, veneration of this holy person is actually honor to God because everything happened through God. As it is, God's grace can come to us through material things as well as spiritual things. We have the Eucharist. We use oil. Right? But I know you want scriptures. So here it is, 2 Kings 13, 21. But when the man came into contact with the bones of Elisha, in this story, there was something coming and they threw a dead man into the grave of Elisha. He came back to life. When the dead man's body touched the bones of a prophet, he came back to life. Not just any prophet, a prophet of God. Second Kings 2.13, that very saint while he was alive, Elisha, took the mantle of Elijah, that was the great prophet before him, mantle, a piece of his clothes, if you will, and fashioned it and performed a miracle with it. Of course, it's God, always. New Testament, Acts 19, 11 through 12. 
So extraordinary were the mighty deeds of God accomplished at the hands of Paul, St. Paul as we understand him, that when his handkerchiefs, when his handkerchiefs were applied to the sick, their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Acts 19, 11 to 12. And this one you'll need to think about more, but in Mark's gospel, chapter 5, 27 through 29, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her sufferings. It goes on, Jesus stops and turns around and says, Who touched me? For power has come out from me. And the apostles in that said, Lord, there is like 500 people here and you want to know who just touched you. She touched the clothing of the Holy One. So my friends, we have a first-class relic. So the first-class relic is any physical remain, including blood, of the saint. The church has second-class relics, items the saint frequently used, such as a Bible, a rosary, clothing. There is also what we have in the church known as third-class relic, and that is something that touched the first or second class relic. Typically, it's a piece of clothing, a cloth. A first and second class relic is strictly forbidden from being sold. Strictly forbidden. The third class relic, that's a different story. Like when you go on pilgrimage and things, people <laughs> have third class relics for sale. I'm just going to leave it alone. So my friends, as I said, this was five years in the making. On my 10th anniversary, the people sent me to Rome for the first time. And while I was there, I went to Tolentino, the city that our patron saint was from, to visit. That was my first no when I met Father Gustino. He only speaks Italian, and I don't speak any Italian. So I'm not really sure what I communicated to him, but whatever it was, it was no. A couple months later, I sent word to him asking for a relic of any kind. And he said no. Now remember, I'm at the Basilica. St. Nicholas's body is actually there in a glass casket. I sat next to it all day, watching the little ladies from Tolentino come and talk to him as if he was sitting there. <laughs> it was, I mean, we. It's just different. The culture is different there. I have a friend named Benedetta. She will be here tomorrow at the 11 o'clock Mass. She was born and raised in Italy. She now lives here with her family. She works for St. Michael Catholic Church in Olympia. And I asked her to help me. And she has been in conversations for six months with the pastors. We know him, but he's the rector of St. Nicholas of Tolentino, he told her no. <laughs> and then he said, I will send the paperwork that he must fill out and send to Rome. 
And I said, okay, all right, all right. And she, I asked her to contact him again, and uh, he didn't want to talk about the relic. And she talked to him again, kind of being aggressive about the relic. The final conversation was two weeks ago where he told her, tell that priest, <laughs> I will send him something and it's all I can do, I can do no more. This is the amazing part. In an envelope, in regular postage from Italy, I figure was the paperwork. And I opened it up to find a first-class relic of St. Nicholas of Tolentino, along with a documentation, not from Rome, but from the Augustinian monks who have possession themselves of his body. I can't tell you how much and what a great gift from that community the Augustinian monks have done for us because that does not happen normally. I will give thanks to God for the great gift that the Augustinian monks of Tolentino, Italy have given to this parish. Something that I never thought would happen just here. And my friends, uh, sometimes relics are locked away. I don't like that or agree with it. So this first-class relic of Tolentino and St. Nicholas will be next to his statue inside of a glass case for all to always come and just like the little old ladies in Tolentino, they just come and sit next to him, <laughs> tap on the glass casket <laughs> as if to wake him up and then speak to him. So I ask all of you to be joyful that for the first time in this parish's history, we actually have a first-class relic of St. Nicholas of Tolentino, something I never thought would ever happen. Do we have first-class, we have one other first-class relic, it's in the altar, all altars in the Roman Catholic Church have first-class relic. It's in a, what we call an altar stone. Normally, the church is very meticulous about recording who it is. We have no idea whose relic is in our... <laughs> it is not St. Nicholas. Um, that was made clear. But they lost track with this altar, so we have no idea. So there is... Uh, we do have first-class relics. They're inside, but um, it's great a great thing. It was a great gift for these monks after saying no so often. Maybe they did it because they just didn't want to hear from me anymore. So my friends, uh, it is a great joy that I present to you for the first time in our history in this parish, a first-class relic of our patron, St. Nicholas of Tolentino. Amen?